Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to take a look at some of the things that I see around, particularly Walt Disney World, and probably to a degree Disneyland, that I think are going to reshape the theme park industry and some of the things that Disney is doing, some of the way we think about theme parks. Now, each of these has been like an individual announcement that's come out. Disney's doing X or Y or this other thing. And they're almost like little puzzle pieces, and you can kind of fit them together to form sort of a picture of what the future may look like, perhaps. So I wanted to kind of take those apart and look at them individually and then kind of draw a conclusion to see if I can figure out where they're going. And maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. I have no inside information. It's just my own personal sort of point of view. And then the second part to that is sort of the internalized part is I wonder if my experience going to a theme park will be different the next time I get to go. It's been over a year since I've gone, and as a longtime guest, many-year annual pass holder, a local who used to go in and out of the theme parks, and someone who really understood them, and as a cast member at some point, I wonder if the experience will be significantly different for me when I do go back, whenever that is. And I think the answer is going to be yes, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. But I think the, the picture is st- sort of being drawn for us to, to a large degree to understand that it will be different. So all of those things said, I just wanted to kind of talk about some of the things that I've heard about that are changing that I think are relevant to this discussion. So I'm going to start with talking about FastPass. And sort of a history lesson here. Um, originally in, I believe it was 1999, Michael Eisner had this idea for something he called FastPass. And it came from a bunch of different people that uh, kind of had some sort of the conceptual model here. The, the problem with Disney was there was a poor guest experience. When you go to the parks, you'd go in, you didn't know which direction to go, you didn't know where to, what to ride on first, you didn't know how to, how to kind of circumnavigate the park to a large degree. And so you'd go up and you'd see a, a ride that you wanted to ride on maybe, and it would be like a 45-minute wait. And you'd say, okay, you'd have to make a decision, am I going to wait in line for 45 minutes, am I going to go somewhere else? and then come back later and see if the wait time is different. So the guest experience was sort of not so good in that sense. So they came up with this idea, hey, how about if we had like a virtual assistant? We'll put like a kiosk in front of the attraction. So when you walk by it the first time, you can put your park ticket in and we'll give you a return time that you can come back to this attraction. And instead of waiting that 45 minutes, maybe you have to wait five or 10 minutes. So that's the concept. And the good side for Disney was that while you were out of the line, you might do something else and you might spend a dollar, you might buy an extra turkey leg or a pretzel or some popcorn or something else, or you might go and uh, you know find some merchandise that you're interested in. So they might boost the bottom line a little bit while giving you the, uh, the great guest experience. But there were two inherent problems here or two things that were outcomes of this, I guess. Um, the first was that uh, guests who were locals really understood the FastPass system very quickly and took advantage of it. So the tables tipped very much to the locals because if you knew, if you were in the know, you'd walk over to the FastPasses that filled up very quickly. 
So for example, the example, Toy Story Midway Mania opened shortly after FastPass started, and people would make a beeline over there as soon as rope drop happened, get their FastPass for it, and then go about the park and then come back later and ride Toy Story. And it meant that people who were not locals or weren't in the know were stuck because they didn't know to go over there first thing in the morning and they couldn't go get the fast pass. So they might be left out or have to wait in line. The second part was that Disney doing their own bean counting number crunching found that there really wasn't an advantage to their bottom line. They really didn't make any additional money from having people step out of line. I mean, this virtual assistant is great. Basically, you don't stand in line. Someone is a, effectively a machine is standing in line for you and you come back at a different time and you have a much shorter wait. It's a great idea, but Disney didn't get that return that they expected to get when they started talking about the, the whole program because they figured if people weren't in line, they'd do something else. But what they did instead was they'd go to another attraction and go wait in line on that one. So if you had a you know, if you had one that you knew was going to be a very long wait, like Toy Story, and it was 120 minutes or whatever it was, two hours, you could go over and maybe go to Muppet Vision, which had a 20-minute wait. And in that 20 minutes, you would, go, you would go and ride that and enjoy it. And then you might go over and do something else, um, let's say the uh, Great Movie Ride or something at the time. And uh, you, would, you would enjoy yourself, and then you would make your way back and actually be able to ride uh, Toy Story Midway Mania at the designated return time. So... It really didn't work out the way Disney wanted it to. So they spent a lot of energy, effort, and ultimately money to enhance on the system. And what they wanted to do was you know, shift the playing fields so that was a little more even or perhaps even a little more uh, pushed to people who were high value uh, guests, uh, people who were spending a lot, and give them a little bit more. So they decided to kind of rethink it and call it FastPass Plus and redo the entirety of the thing. So instead of being a paper return ticket you would get. Instead, you would do it in some sort of an application and do some things along the way. Now, there were a couple of uh, guests, uh, people, just average people who created uh, apps for phones that allowed for some of this to happen. And what they were doing was they were saying, hey, I could help you to figure out uh, what your best strategy is for going through the park. So like Len over at Touring Plans came up with a whole idea for that. Len's a really interesting guy. You should listen to his podcast or check out his site. Um, not that I'm getting anything out of it. I just, I like Len personally and I think you, you, you'll find that it's really kind of neat what he's doing. Um, so he's, you know, he's got this thing where he was doing this touring plans where he was figuring out how to best optimize the park and make the big, big, biggest use of it, best use of it. So he, he did that and came up with the whole thing and that was pretty neat and uh, that, was, that was clever. And then there were several other apps that came along where people figured out, hey, I could do some, um, some help, help you to figure out what the wait times are in these community-based apps where if I'm waiting in line, I could be a good community citizen and I could say, hey, the wait time for this, this line is X minutes and therefore the next person that comes, they see that it's that and if you build enough people into it, you've got a good database of information plus you have the historical information of what it always looked like. So people came up with these very clever ways to... Uh, manage it so you could use the apps and make your way around the park. Really clever stuff. Um, and so Disney saw that, of course they did, and uh, they decided to, uh, to leverage some of it. Now earlier on, what they were doing was just putting up signboards to tell you what the wait time was, and that was just phoned in from other, or radioed in, from other places basically. Um, there was no uh, connection to the, like the signboard through a computer or anything. They just radio over and say, hey, the wait time for Space Mountain is 35 minutes. And they would go update the signboard to say 35 minutes. It was, you know, it was, it was a, a low-tech solution to the problem. But at least when you walked in the park, you had a signboard to help you to figure out which direction you might go because you'd see what the wait times were for some of these things. Kind of smart. But over time, 
they figured out that they should do this in a much more automated and computer-friendly way, something that you could plan in advance, do on your phone, and have real-time information as you went through the park. Very, very cool. So they, caught, they started this whole program of um, what they ultimately termed FastPass Plus, and it was their next-gen solution to uh, doing a lot of these things. And reportedly, they spent over a billion dollars in the entirety of the development of it. Now, whether that number is accurate, I have my doubts, but they certainly spent some amount of money creating something that was really clever and creative that took you on a different path and really uh, changed the way we think about theme parks. And what they were trying to do was figure it out, hey, how could we optimize this to make sure that we're using all our spare capacity in the, in the attraction, making sure that we keep the line short when people do walk up to it and also keep the, that fast pass return line short. So they started coming up with this proposition for how to do that. And it's based on some computer models and some other very clever things, some proprietary information that they use to be able to create this sort of idea. Now they had to limit people on how many of these fast passes they could use because you know, if you gave people unlimited access to them, it would be challenging and you would never get through it. You have to, uh, you, they have to limit how many you can have at any given time. They had to figure out how, to, how long in advance to let you book them. All of these things kind of went into their uh, research and they figured out that you know, let's give an advantage to people who are coming to uh, stay on Disney property. If you're staying on Disney property, we'll let you book up to 60 days in advance. If you're coming and you're uh, local and you're, you're staying and we know you're coming in the park, you can do it 30 days in advance or something like that. I don't remember what the exact numbers were. And then there's, uh, you know, somebody who's just buying a theme park ticket for the day, they can do it seven days in advance. So, you know, those kinds of things would work out. And you can do a maximum of three at a time. And some of them were tiered together and grouped together to make it so that you couldn't just go out and get the best attractions and skip the others. The idea was, again, to level that playing field. So they spent a lot of time, money, and energy building this particular uh, thing called FastPass Plus, and it worked out pretty well. I would say overall it was a pretty efficient system. Um, it, worked, it worked better than I think they hoped it would. But again, the return on a billion dollar investment, or even if it's a hundred million dollars in investment, is a tough one to, to call. Where is your return? How do you measure your return on that investment? Theme park happiness? Guest satisfaction? What is it? I don't know. Um, the fact that you're, you know, you're, you're able to manage your queues efficiently, maybe that's it. So anyway, the, the uh, system worked that way and it was really pretty good. But again, you started having problems and the problems this time were from the people who were the higher value customers, maybe bl being blocked out of certain attractions that they wanted to do. And of course, with things like the rise of the resistance coming in, FastPass Plus wasn't exactly going to work there. Uh, the, the system that they had built wasn't exactly right for that because it was such an enormously a popular attraction that they decided they had to kind of rethink it and they came up with this whole idea of boarding groups. Once you got through the gate, then you could join a boarding group and then you would get a return time. So it kind of moved away from the idea of FastPass Plus. So those couple of things made it more challenging. Now Disney, to their credit, figured out that for the people that were the higher value customers and you know, the people who were vacation club owners or were staying at the concierge level at hotels, they offered them the opportunity to purchase an additional couple of fast passes through the systems. So they could actually get additional uh, entries, the slots in there, so they could add additional fast passes. They weren't limited to the three in the same sort of groupings, which led people to start to think about, are they gonna start charging for fast pass? Is that what's gonna happen here? Now, you look at it and you go, maybe not, but certainly it seems like maybe they would. Maybe what they do instead is they'd say, okay, do the, if you don't pay for it, you get the virtual queue and you get to pick the attraction you wanna do next. Maybe you could do it day or two before to look ahead. 
um, you know, if you're planning on going to the parks, but otherwise you would kind of be left out of the system. So you could do one attraction at a time, basically. So that kind of made it a little, you know, you started to look at it and you go, I wonder what they're going to do with that. It's unclear where they're going to go. And that was the big question I think a lot of us had. Where is that going to wind up? Especially given that like Rise of the Resistance is different and doesn't work the same way. So very, you know, there was this, these, these competing thoughts on how this was going to work. So that's, you know, sort of how FastPass worked. Now that they've opened Disney World, they've said, hey, we're not putting FastPass Plus back in yet. And it's the yet that you think about and you go, okay, sure, you put it back in later. But the question is, will they? So they have the challenge of, you know, theme park capacity is an issue. You know, you don't have your college program kids there. You don't have a lot of other uh, international workers there. You're limited to your locals, which is fine. But you, you know, that's going to limit the number of the amount of staff you have. And with social distancing, such as it is and whatever, you have to kind of keep things going. And right now, with the uh, limited staff and the um, <clears throat> fact that you have a theme park reservation means that you get in the park and you just walk around. There's no fast pass and you, it's like the old days almost. You just go to the attractions you want. Now you have the benefit of having the app on your phone or the signboard so you can see what the wait times look like on these things. So you have a sense of where to go. But from everyone I've talked to who's gone, they said while the experience itself is different because of the masks and the social distancing and whatever, um, the experience of going on the attractions has been great and they got to go on pretty much everything they wanted to during the day which is another aha moment for Disney. You know, you have to ask yourself, would they change the way they think about this in that case? Now, as far as like Rise of the Resistance, what was happening before the pandemic was that people were showing up at like six o'clock in the morning to stand just outside the gate so they could go in at nine when the park opened. I think they might've opened just a little bit earlier than that. They would walk in, they would be able to get their, um, their time uh, so they could have their boarding group. And then they would either stay in the park or they might just leave and go, you know, go get some sleep at the hotel and come back at whatever time they were supposed to come back to. You know, not an efficient way to do things. It, 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 it counters to everything that they had in mind. So more recently, with the way the pandemic has been working, they've been doing it based on the fact that you have a reservation for that park that day. You can actually get your, uh, you can get there and get your boarding pass. And they kind of set it up in a different way so that it's a little more efficient and a little bit more interesting. So. Um, you know, I'm looking at that and I'm going, this is another piece to that puzzle. How is that all going to fit together? The next piece had to do with the whole theme park reservation system and the fact that you have to book a reservation for a theme park for that particular day. This is something Disney has never, ever done before. You used to be able to just walk up to the park any day, 365 days a year, and just walk in the park. Now, there were some occasions, like July 4th, um, December 31st, some other days where there were special events going on, where they might have reached capacity at some point, you know, and the capacity is sort of a relative term because they want to make sure they're taking their high value customers and letting them come in still. But, you know, anyone else, they want to just make sure that, you know, they're keeping you out. And it's to keep the capacity of the rides at a certain level so that you can actually walk through the park. I've been in the park when it's been ridiculously busy and it sucks and they don't want to have that. So this theme park reservation system allows them to control how many people they let in the park and know exactly how many are there. Look, in the past, they always had a good estimate on what they'd expect for any day because they had years of history to work with. And they'd use that to their advantage to do their planning. How much staff do I need? What attractions should I have open? What hours should I keep? All of those things. And it would kind of figure in there. Now it's even easier because I know in advance how many people are planning on coming to the park. And I can leave some reservations open for same day, assuming, you know, I'm not filled up, filled up to whatever my capacity is, but I can do some things that are very different than the way I did it before. 
So you start to think about this and you go, hey, I think they have a different plan in mind for what they're doing for this whole idea of theme park entry. Now, Josh DeMauro had said, hey, we're keeping um, the, uh, the reservation system in place until at least the end of 2021. And I think it's the at least until that kind of caught my attention there. Um, if this is successful in some ways, they're going to keep it because they can manage the crowds that they want to have there and manage the number of people that go through the park. So the, the whole reservation system was kind of interesting. Now that also, early on when Disney World reopened, they eliminated park hopping entirely because there was no ability to park hop. Then after they were open for a period of time, they figured out, okay, we can let someone pop to a second park during the day after two o'clock. I think it's that you have to have the reservation for it or they have to allow for it or something like that. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but uh, anyway, the idea is that you can go to a second park, but that's it, just one other park, only after two o'clock. So it changes the dynamic because it used to be that people would come in the park, they'd go to one park maybe uh, early in the morning, do the things they want to do, then maybe go to a second park later in the day, and then maybe even go to a third park for dinner or the evening. And in my case, I used to always do, try to do the four parks just because it was something fun to do. You'd go and you'd hit the four parks and you'd, you know, you'd do some fun, you'd have some fun things. You'd pick something at each one of the parks you want to do and you get them done. Especially when you're developing content for a podcast like this, it's always nice to go check something out. And I know that um, some of the people that live locally, they can do that, right? So they can go day one, they go to this place, day two, they go to this place and so on. Um, I don't have that luxury. I'm there for one or two days when I'm there and I like to enjoy myself um, unless I'm traveling with the family or something and I just get the information I need and I have a little fun and I leave and that's it. So this kind of changes the nature of that from my perspective that you can't do that park hopping. Now, how many people actually hop between the parks uh, on a typical day? Well, probably not as many as all that. And how many people are um, people that would be your higher paying guests? Probably almost zero. It's, you know, bloggers, it's the podcasters, it's the people who are involved. Some of the locals certainly too. You know, I think back to uh, over the years, back when I was, uh, you know, uh, working there and living in Orlando and I used to go in the parks and I had my own strategy for going to the parks. I would just go in for dinner at somewhere or maybe I would go to two parks in a day or I would do something. I remember uh, I was up there not that long ago and I ran into some other uh, people that I knew, uh, a couple in the, you know, people in the, uh, in the blogger space and whatever. And we wound up getting a group of us together, um, probably about eight of us. And not everyone was in the same park. We wound up watching Illuminations that night. Not everyone was in the same park. Not everyone was even at the parks. Um, some of them were, you know, home or whatever. And we wound up getting a group together and we came over and we went to the Rosen Crown, got a drink, and then went out and watched Illuminations. You know, but you can't necessarily do that because it was spur of the moment. We were just making phone calls and, you know, trying to get in touch with people and make it interesting. And you can't, that, that, just, that, that ability doesn't necessarily exist anymore. It just changed. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but it changed. So it, it's kind of an interesting thing the way they pulled it all together. Now, another thing that happened and something I wanted to talk about for a minute was it, back in February of last year, before the pandemic hit, Disney was starting to announce something that they were calling the Genie app. Named after the Genie from Aladdin, the idea was to enhance on FastPass Plus to give you experiences rather than attractions. So you, when you're booking your trip and it would vary based on the kind of trip you're booking and what prices you were paying or how valuable you were to the company, that kind of thing. They would figure out um, when to let you have access to the system. But you would put in the system you, sort of what your interests were. And it was sort of an experiential thing. Hey, I like thrill rides. Hey, I like storytelling. 
I like um, these uh, adventure type things. I like whatever. You know, and they, what they would do then is pick attractions that met with that sort of grouping so that you would have a grouping of attractions that you would do and they would plan out your day and they would even suggest lunch options and other things that you might do to make that day uh, somewhat, somewhat compelling to you. Now there's these new experiences they're coming up with like there's the Star Wars Hotel and you're, you're going to run a um, simulation where you're like uh, a rebel and you're going off and you're experiencing something in, in Star Wars land. My understanding was they had other ideas like that for other experiences that you could have in other parks or other things where you could kind of uh, draw on that same sort of thing. So you would have these broader experiences that you would have that would fit together with whatever theme you were thinking of. Whether they do it or don't, I don't know. Now the Genie app kind of fell by the wayside when the pandemic hit. We haven't heard much about it. But the reality is when you think about something like that, there is something different in mind. They're planning something to change in the, in the whole of the theme parks. Something is going to be different. You know, you're going to experience it differently because they're going to give you something else. So instead of being about the attractions and I go in and I want to see the Haunted Mansion, no, 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 that you're trying to shift the thinking. I'm not going in to see the Haunted Mansion. I'm going in to hear spooky tales. And they're going to tell you some tales and they're going to do something with you and then they're going to take you to the Haunted Mansion. Or I want to have an adventure, so they're going to take you through and maybe um, take you to the, uh, the pirate uh, uh, makeup place for, uh, for the kids, have you, you know, have you get made up, maybe you take you on a pirate adventure around the uh, um, Seven Seas Lagoon, and then maybe take you to the Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, those kinds of things where it becomes much more experiential in a way, and it's less about the attractions themselves. So you start to think about how they might reshape what you think about the theme parks, it's not about, I'm going on attraction A, B, and C. No, I'm going to experience something. I'm gonna be immersed in something and I'm gonna go enjoy myself. And you have more access to it if you're staying on property somewhere. So just a thought, right? Just those kinds of things when you start hearing about the Genie app and some of the other things that you've kind of heard about in the background. And it makes me wonder if that's where that's all going. You know, and then you hear about other things that are happening and you start to hear about, um, they, re um, they remove the magic bands. You don't automatically get a magic band when you're going on your trip anymore. The magic bands cost something, whether it was a nickel or whether it was a dollar, doesn't matter. They cost something to produce. They had to figure out how to manage them, how to deal with them. You know, people had many of them, you know, wasteful in a sense. Um, they served a purpose for sure. But the question is, do they really need them anymore? Everyone has that device in their hands anymore in their pocket. It's that, it's that cell phone. I could make a passive device if I allow for Bluetooth access from my phone, even if it's off. I could just walk up to the gate, put my finger on it, and it will let me in because the phone is now my theme park ticket and I didn't even have to tap it on the little Mickey. I could just go right in the park. In theory, that could work. Now, if I don't have a phone or if whatever, they could give me a plastic ticket that I could use instead that I could still uh, get in with. You know, the media still works that way, but why not? force it to be on the phone instead, and that way you're controlling access and you know where everybody is all the time. That's one of the things about the Magic Band too. They learned a lot, you know, the data collection they had from having the Magic Bands available for 10 years or whatever it's been, um, gave them so much information about people's habits in the park. Where do they go? What direction do they go? Where do they, you know, how do they leave? How long do they stay? All that stuff that they never really had before. And all that data, maybe that's worth the billion dollars to them, I'm not sure. But certainly there's a lot of information that they have that they can use in some way. And because they're, they connect it up to your, um, your reservation system too, you know, the, the original reservation system where you were staying at a hotel and you were doing whatever, um, those things also can be linked together to say, hey, 
if you came from further away, you're more likely to spend money than if you're a local. Because if you're a local, you're just going to show up, you're going to do these things, and you're going to leave. So all of that data then becomes very valuable to them. Because the, uh, remember that the, the uh, Magic Band was a passive device that could allow them to sort of track you through the park. Anonymized, of course. They weren't looking for you specifically. Or maybe they were looking for me. I don't know. But, you know, they take that data and they can use it for something. So all of that becomes valuable to them in some way where they can use that data and help them to um, find, find a better uh, means of giving people uh, the things that they want. So kind of interesting. And, you know, doing away with the magic band, you know, not the worst thing in the world. Um, it's kind of an interesting thing that was a good idea, but I think they just figured out how to go past it at some point. So that was, uh, that was one of the other things I, I noticed. Then the... Um, one, of the, one other thing that I noticed was the, um, this uh, removal of the Magical Express. So Disney used to meet you at the airport. They would take your bags and whisk you away to the Magic Kingdom, or, I'm sorry, to the Magical Kingdom, to the, uh, to the Walt Disney World, um, where you would basically be immersed in it from the time you got off the plane. So you had the Disney experience from the moment you got off the plane until the moment where you, um, until the moment you got back on the plane, basically. Um, so they'd do all these things for you and they'd help you to, uh, to do it. And it made it more efficient for them because they made sure that you came directly to the park, you had a get good guest experience, and so on. It's, a, you know, it's always expensive for Disney to do. They got special access to the airports. So they could get to places where other competitors couldn't get to, so they could help you get your bags and whatever. Uh, you know, they have to hire bus drivers. they got to maintain a bus fleet, all of those things. You know, it's an expensive proposition to do that, and Disney had to probably had to question whether it was valuable to keep doing it or not. So they decided to end the program, assuming that it's not so valuable. Now they're telling people, hey, go back to private transportation. You can hire somebody. You can hire a, an Uber or a car or a you know, limo or whatever, or you know, take one of these uh, buses or whatever. And then there's also the, um, the Sunrail that's expected to put a station somewhere over by, I think it's Disney Springs. I'm not sure exactly. But they would uh, take you. There's a Sunrail. It's a light rail train that goes back and forth around, in and around Orlando. That presumably will take you from directly from the airport to uh, Disney Springs. So you could basically just hop on it and get there pretty efficiently. Now, there's a lot of questions about this. You know, will that work? How well it works? You know, Disney originally had no intention of letting any sort of rail service come to Disney World because the intention at that point in time, 25 years ago, was to keep people on Disney property. You get to the Disney property, you stay there. I think the the sort of the rethinking of this is that they're looking at it and saying, hey, we want you to come to Disney property and we want you to have such a great experience and you have all these plans for things you're going to do. You know, you're going to do this, this, and this while you're here that you don't want to leave. You know, it's, there's no reason for you to leave because you've already got all these plans. You know, so what they were afraid of was people would go to like uh, Universal Studios for a couple of days or to SeaWorld for a couple of days. And that was their fear back, you know, in the late 1990s that there was going to be some people that would just leave the Disney property and go over there. They might still stay at the Disney Resort, but they might go over there for, you know, a couple of days. Um, and now it's about they just want to build this experience where they keep you there. And I find that kind of interesting. It's sort of a shift in the philosophy of what Disney has in mind because they never thought about doing that before. So in a way, Disney saves money on the Magical Express and theoretically, they could still give you a really good experience, but it would start a little bit later, and you'd just have to catch the train. It's a light rail train. It you know, runs regularly. It wouldn't take very long to get from the airport to, to Disney once it opens, and I think it's expected to open in 2022. So in the short term, you just have to find a way to get there. Now, there's the, there's the oh, by the way, you know, Disney figured out, hey, if we charge people to uh, park their cars at the resorts, 
um, like other hotels do. I, I don't think it's right because there's a weird mix of things that happens between the theme park parking and that fee and the hotel parking and that fee. And it's just sort of a weird mix of things. But anyway, um, it's kind of a, it, it kind of works to Disney advantage. If you decide to rent a car yourself and drive it over there, you're going to have to pay a little bit more to park it there. So it's, you know, little, little nickels and dimes that they can make off of you along the way. I guess that's positive for them, right? Um, so there's that piece to it. So I found that really kind of interesting. Um, you know, it kind of fits into the, it, it doesn't exactly fit into the storyline I'm telling here, but it does to a point because the experience is so good that you may not want to leave. And then finally, the last part to the puzzle was the thing that happened at Disneyland um, about a week or so ago, maybe two weeks now, that they decided to stop all annual passes, refund anyone who has an annual pass, and rethink their strategy. They'll come up with something later. And I went, whoa, that's a pretty huge deal. Um, Disneyland has over a million uh, annual pass holders. So it's a huge thing to, uh, to give it up and take people out of the system and go, we're just going to refund your money. Look, the park's been closed for almost a year now out at Disneyland. So, you know, you have to consider that, uh, that, you know, the state of California considers the pandemic differently than the state of Florida does for whatever that's worth. Um, so they're going to refund people the money. And you go, wow, that's really big, but what's the bigger picture here? What's the play? What are they going to do? And then I also noted, I was thinking about it a little bit, and I went and checked uh, Disney World's website, and sure enough, if you are not a current annual pass holder, or you gave up your pass, such as I did, you cannot purchase a new annual pass. Oh, didn't notice that before. How interesting. So the two were kind of aligning on their annual pass structure. Now, what they'll do is, if you have a Disney, if you have one of those premier annual passes that let you go to Disneyland and Disney World, they'll go ahead and honor that over at Disney World and give you some price difference, whatever, you know, so they make it work so you can keep that annual pass. But if you, if you have a Disneyland annual pass, you won't have it anymore. If you gave up your Disney World annual pass, you won't have it any, you uh, won't be able to get a new one. And a spokesman, when asked about Disney World's uh, annual pass structure, um, said something along the lines of, well, we're continuing to honor the annual passes for now. And it was the for now that caught my attention. So at some point, I guess, they're going to do away with the annual passes at Disney World. And, you know, here's where the puzzle really comes together for me. Uh, the people that have annual passes, you know, many of them um, are either locals or people who, uh, bloggers who, who like to come and just spend a couple of days and do whatever, um, or they're people who have figured out a financial reason that it makes sense for them. So they buy the uh, annual pass on their first trip and say, let's say it's um, January, right? And they go and they enjoy themselves and they're there for four or five days. And then they go back home and they come back and say November and they use that same annual pass and they're there for four or five days. The annual pass is paid for itself. And it's a much more efficient way of spending your money than going out and buying daily passes and whatever. So you know, there's a way, there's, it's kind of a way for you to take advantage of taking multiple trips on the same pass. I think Disney has in mind that they want to change that philosophy. Look, I'm going to talk about Disneyland for a second here and just say, you know, Walt Disney, when he opened the park, he wanted to have a place to take his girls and just enjoy it that was clean and neat and orderly and, you know, um, pleasant. And he didn't anticipate it being um, this expensive proposition that it was. And so for many years, Disneyland was a place where people could just kind of go for the day. It wasn't very expensive to get in. Um, it became summer camp for a lot of kids in Southern California. Um, it wasn't so true on Disney World, but maybe to a smaller degree. Um, 
and people went in and they, you know, they kind of enjoyed themselves and they found their way around and whatever. Then as more people started getting their annual, they offered annual passes because they didn't originally, of course. Um, when they started offering annual passes, people started taking them for the same reason. It caught, kept the price point down and allowed them to go just regularly. Hey, I could go over and just see World of Color on that random Tuesday. Um, is that what it's called? I, I can't remember if that was the name of the show, come to think of it. But anyway, I could go see um, some random show uh, on a Tuesday or a show on a random Tuesday and just enjoy myself, right? And so I didn't have to worry about um, that sort of thing. I could just do whatever I wanted. And it makes park capacity really hard because you don't know when people are going to show up and you know that you have a million pass holders out there. And what's going to happen when Disneyland does reopen, whether it's this week, this month, this year, whatever, whenever they reopen, people are going to go, hey, I haven't had my Disney fix in a long time and everyone's going to try and show up that first day or that first week. So it's a challenge for Disney to try to manage that and let that many people in the parks, especially since Disneyland and Disney's California Adventure are smaller. But it also affords them the opportunity to change the entirety of the theme park experience. So this is where you, know, you look at Disneyland and Disney World in the same way and you go, okay, what if I wanted to change your, the entirety of your experience and not let you come in like that? What if I said, I'm not gonna let you come in as an annual pass holder and just come in whenever you want. I'm gonna let you buy a ticket that's maybe a lower priced ticket because you're a local, but it's a three day ticket and you can use the three days over the course of you know, a month or whatever. Um, and you can use them how you want, but you have to have a reservation to come in. And uh, you're going to be limited to the, uh, the attractions you can go to, the standby queues, or perhaps you could get one fast pass because they could do the same thing at both locations. And it's more about the experience when you do come than it is about the attraction. So those of us who care to go and still experience it as a day visitor, we can, but we don't get the, the same experience that the people that are paying for it get. So if I sell you a vacation package, it's a true vacation package. I'm selling you the whole thing. I'm selling you this experience. Rather than just coming to Disney World to kind of do the rides and whatever, I'm coming for the experience. Hey, I'm a thrill seeker, so I'm gonna to get to ride on all the thrill rides around all four theme parks. And I'm gonna have some other experiences that'll give me a little uh, you know, tummy tingling um, that'll uh, do some other things with me that maybe they haven't even discussed yet or thought of yet. Um, or you know maybe they've discussed in, the, in you know somewhere in a boardroom, but haven't discussed publicly yet. So those kinds of things all come together, and it makes for an entirely different experience. So I'm you know I'm starting to realize that the experience now is what it's all about. It's not about going to the theme parks. It's not about going to Disney World. It's about the experience of going. And yeah, there'll be a limited number available for those of us who want to go you know whenever we want. But I think Disney is going to shift it because what they're also going to realize, and I think they already know is that people are out there and um, you know we've been pent up for you know the better part of a year we've got a little money saved up now because we're working but not traveling not doing anything you know not eating out not you know had no entertainment so at some point people are going to want to get out and they're going to want to go do things and they're want to going to want to have an experience so disney's already planning up what could that experience be for people and so when they do reopen here's the experience i saw an ad for uh, disney cruise line the other day and it didn't talk about bookings. It didn't talk about sailings. It said, we're coming back soon. And here's the, the fun experiences you have. You know, they're setting themselves up to basically get people to spend their money in, with them rather than somewhere else. So I'm, I'm seeing that, you know, they're going to reshape the theme park industry in a way that I don't think any of us actually understand completely yet. It's just going to be completely different. And they're going to give us different experiences and different things that we're going to be able to do. And it's just going to be a whole new world, if you will, um, of things that you can do. And I think, you know, the days of us just kind of showing up at the park and, you know, just being there, 
and wandering around, you know, aimlessly and, you know, taking pictures and reporting on something, I think those days are limited. I think you'd still do it to a degree, but just the way we do it today, um, I think that just has, that has to change and will change just because of the nature of um, what they're changing there. You know, now they've got more control over sort of the experience. Disney takes back control and decides who gets access to all the things they want to have access to, whether it's the theme park or whether it's the, um, uh, whether it's actually uh, going into the restaurants or going into the hotels and whatever, who stays there, you know, how long you can stay for. All these things become relevant in a way. It's not to say you can't go and experience it, but just going to experience it differently. And I think the price point will probably go up too. Um, one of the things they were talking about, Disney has been raising their um, threshold for pricing every year and started to add on these extra services and extra things that they were doing. It's only a matter of time before they price it out for the average person would go on a vacation once every 10 years rather than every year. You know, that it reaches a point, or maybe it's every a couple of years, but it reaches a point where it's different. You want to make sure that you're, you're still making it available and, and useful. But if I make the theme, if I keep my theme park capacity down and I give people access to a lot of things and experiences, then I win, right, as a company. So I, I see it that way. So that was my take, and I just wanted to share that with you. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, you know, just thought the, the whole thing was kind of compelling at this point. I think Disney is reshaping the entirety of the theme park industry. Where it goes, where it nets out, I really don't know. I'm just taking some educated guesses based on what I've seen so far. So uh, we're, you know, we're starting to see it come together. Well, there you go. That was my take on uh, what Disney is doing. One little spark of inspiration is at the heart <laughs> of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark lights up for you. And for my One Little Spark segment for today, I wanted to talk about the cast member pantry. The cast member pantry was set up by a former cast member to help other cast members who have been furloughed or otherwise had their hours reduced and can't afford to put food on their table. So what they do is they have like a basically a grocery store where they allow people to come in and uh, select some food items and kind of help themselves. There's a few other necessities in there as well. So I think it's a really terrific thing that they're doing. It's unfortunate that it has to be this way, but if you'd like to contribute to it and help some of the cast members in need, please visit castmemberpantry.com. There's also a Facebook page. I think actually the website takes you to the Facebook page. But you can find out more information about it and learn more about the Cast Member Pantry and help some of these folks out. Clearly, there's a need out there. And uh, this is something that I think is really good and it gives an opportunity for people to um, have, be able to put food on their table. So I really highly recommend this. And I think that's one of those things we can remember. If you decide not to give to the Cast Member Pantry, perhaps you give to one of the other feeding organizations in your area. Uh, there's plenty of them. There's uh, Feeding America has subsidiaries all over the place. Or you could give to one of the religious groups or other groups that are out there that also provide food and sustenance for people or one of these places that has a soup kitchen, basically. Certainly any of those things are good. I just recommend the Cast Member Pantry because we're talking about Disney on this podcast and it's a great opportunity to help out. So that's it for my one little spark. I just wanted to remind you that we can help others. And that's my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely.
Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 